to fear, where terror is homegrown. Join us as we take a drive down dusty back roads and discover the obscure and dark history of this country, human and otherwise, that lurk in your backyard. Hello everyone, welcome back to another fantastic episode of State of Fear. I'm your host Chris, and with me always is the co-host with the most assistances, James. <laughs> What's up everybody? And today's state is Florida. Florida. Florida, the, yep. the great... The sunshine state. The state of Florida, man. Which you called California when we did California, but no, we had to fix that. What, what, what is California then? <laughs> California's the golden state. My bad. That's okay. Anyway, so today's uh, for Florida. We we went through a few different things. Uh, there's a lot going on in Florida. Viva Anita Bryant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, there were a lot of different topics that we went through in Florida. And we um, kind of narrowed it down to this one just for the time being. But today's topic is on Robert the Doll. Robert the Doll. This as um, this was something that uh, I had once. Heard about, but I had not really looked into it or heard of it. But, uh, you know, I've seen pictures of them before and stuff like that. Okay. And I'm actually very excited to talk about this. I like talking about creepy stuff. So. Have you seen any of the um, the TV shows or episodes where they've done on Robert Dahl? I believe I saw one. Okay. I am I can't remember what show it was. Like I said, it's been a while since I've watched the paranormal shows. Okay. It might... I don't know. Did... Uh, Zaffis do one on the collector about him? I mean, or does he not do shows on things that he can't get his hands on? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't watch the shows. So I have no idea. Okay. Yeah, well, I, haven't, I haven't watched the ghost shows since Ghost Hunters back in like 2006. Well, then the heck with it. We'll just roll forward. Yeah. No, Chris, I haven't seen any shows that I can remember about Robert, but I have heard of him. Okay. And uh, you know what he looks like? I do know what he looks like. All right. A lot of people have probably seen pictures of him. He's a little patchwork doll. Yeah. He's about he's 48 inches or 40. 40 inches. 40 inches. Yeah, yeah he's, he's very he's, tall. He's, he's big and he's dressed like a little sailor. He's got a very and creepy a, face. And has a teddy bear. Yes. Very whack looking. Um, but before we get into that, let's talk about a couple of our favorite dolls. Chucky. Love Chucky. Uh, most of these are probably inspired by Robert at some point. Or other actual haunted dolls. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's also uh, the other real life one, Annabelle the doll. Annabelle. Who now, is? like I said, we like to talk about this one because the movie yes. doesn't do it justice. Of course, should I say, in the movie, they've completely changed Annabelle's appearance. Right. The true Annabelle, if anybody out there knows about her, is a raggedy Ann doll. Mm-hmm. Looks as harmless as can be, but yet it is haunted as hell. This is one of those things, they've got it in the case. It's do not touch. You know, nobody gets their hands on this thing. And that, to me, that makes it more scary because you're you're not assuming this doll to be evil. Absolutely. The doll in the movie, you look at it and it looks, it looks, looks evil. It looks evil as hell, man. So you'd this assume thing. something bad's going to happen. Yeah. This, this other doll is a Raggedy Ann doll, which they sold in yeah. mass-produced. 
mass <laughs> yeah. and so they were all over the, all over the world yeah no kidding and so and it's got this this simple you know it's a simple patchwork doll or whatever and, and you just assume that it's a nice fun doll but no this one is evil yeah because like they made the actual annabelle movie about a raggedy ann doll attacking and killing people you would see kids running screaming from toys r us is all over the planet that and I think for adults it would probably look really ridiculous. It would having a Raggedy Ann doll do yeah. all the fighting. Okay. It would, and so they had to scary it up. Make and she's actually we looked her up. She's actually forty eight inches tall. Yeah, she's, so she's almost life size. Yeah, she's and creepy as hell. This doll here, they did a real good job on it. Of course, we all you know anybody's in the paranormal like me and Chris are in the paranormal a lot. Right. Know what the real Annabelle looks like. Then we see this and we roll our eyes, but. So be it. You know, they, I mean, like you said, they, if they're going to sell movies to, if they're going to sell tickets to a horror movie, they're not going to sell it peddling some Raggedy Ann doll with right. a knife. They're not going to have It's not going to be as scary. No. Obviously not. No. There's another doll called Brahms the Boy that was made into two movies. Um, I And to me, this is almost the closest to being inspired by Robert the Doll because it's a, it's a boy doll, first mm-hmm. of all. It was gifted to a boy as well. But in the movie, the boy supposedly dies. And so the doll ends up being a representation of the bo- of their son that they lost. That's right. Doesn't the, doesn't the spirit of the boy go into the doll? Supposedly, yeah. Li- okay. And they hire somebody to come in and actually babysit the doll. Oh, brother. And the doll ends up, like Robert, ends up um, in different places, not where he was supposed to be, not where they put him last time. They, hear, they hear, like, feet running and, and things happen, like Robert's doll. Uh, keep the 10 bucks. I'm out. The twist I is ain't that... babysitting a damn thing. Bye. <laughs> The twist for this one is that the boy's not actually dead. He's living in the walls. Oh, jeez. And so he comes out to move the doll on his own. And he's the one who's feeding yeah. you here. And it's, it's stupid as shit. Is it? It's okay, stupid. that's too bad because, well, maybe that'll make it on our other project someday. It's, it's almost uh, what the suck territory. Because I've, never, yeah. seen, I've yeah. never seen Brom the boy or whatever they call yeah, the The first movie. one's the boy. The second one's called Brom the boy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, there's also the dolls from the Puppet Master series from I love, Full Moon. I, I love the little drill. The drill's your favorite. That's, I the like that guy. Favorite. My favorite is Leech Woman. Leech Woman. <laughs> because she, ha- throwing up those leeches yep. was, as to a kid, was scary as shit. Hell yeah. Because I'm like, how did she have all them leeches living inside that little doll? Because there were a lot. She threw up a lot. Yeah, she did. Yeah, that is for sure. The drill's cool too. I like the drill. The uh, the freaking Nazi one with like the scissors. Yes, he was kind of creepy. Yeah, and then the little one with the hook. You know. There's, yeah, there's, they're they're pretty much all evil little bastards. The one that I thought was always funniest was the was Pinhead. Yeah, because they they you know he was tiny head and he had like a turtleneck. That's right. And then yep. they they had the puppeteer's hands in the holes for his hands, <laughs> and obviously you could tell it was an adult oh, hand. Of course, and it just looked funny as hell. Yeah, good movies though. And then, of course, we have the Zuni Hunter doll from Trilogy of Terror. One of my favorites. One of your favorites from us uh, with Karen Black. Yeah. It's the last segment of the movie where yeah. she is bought a Zuni doll for her boyfriend, and there's a chain attached to it. And when the chain falls off, the hunter comes to life and proceeds to hunt her down through her apartment. And which actually, for its time, was a very, uh, very well done, but TV-made movie. Yeah. But I do believe there are such dolls that actually exist in the world, mm-hmm. at least by legend. I don't know too much about them, but I have heard, you know, like, you know, because, like, you got voodoo dolls. Right. Things like that. Things with energy. Things attached to things. I mean... Objects can be uh, possessed. I mean, we've seen it and we've heard about it all the time. I mean, John Zaffis does a very good living collecting these things. Yes, he does. You know, and Zach Bagans does one as well for his 
the museum that we will not discuss on here. And let's not forget the fact that famous dolls can be big business on eBay. Absolutely. People are selling their quote unquote haunted dolls all the time. And there are organizations out there that buy these things at like ridiculously high prices online. Yeah. Yeah, If I want to buy haunted stuff, I'll take my ex-wife with me and say, hey, put your hands over this because... She's sensitive to stuff like that. It'd be so. better, a better deal than actually buying something on eBay because yeah. I guarantee you're not getting anything quote unquote haunted at all. No. No. Uh, we, we apparently also have a haunted doll. Yes, One, we do. We have a bear. He's a little teddy bear. Yeah. We found him in the antique center and he's part of our collection. Yeah. We have a doll. We have a bear. We have wind chimes. We have a set of wind chimes and we also have an owl. I That's believe we right, have a haunted owl. owl. That's right. I do because I, I picked that up. Yep, and I From, think uh, yeah. I think uh, our friend has it, right? Yeah, I think she has. I think okay. Shannon has them all. So okay, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's a little trip through some of the more famous quote unquote, uh, quote unquote killer dolls. slash killer. haunted dolls. Haunted dolls, yeah. And before we do that, let's get into the uh, weird news of the day. Absolutely. Today's story is a uh, pretty interesting one. Deals with a little paleontology up in the house. Paleontology. Story is called Creepy Extinct Fish with Fingers Unearths the Bizarre Truth of How Hands Evolve. Story goes, no, not those fish fingers. Defrosting and a microwave weren't required here. Humans may not be directly related to fish, except maybe Abe Sapien or that creature from the shape of water. But the fossil of an extinct fish known as Elpisostige wasoni was a breakthrough for a research team from Flinders University in Australia and Université de Québec à Rimouski in Canada. This literal fish out of water had fingers as in actual finger bones on its pectoral fins. Its 380-million-year-old skeleton revealed how vertebrate fingers evolved from fins. That is impressive. First of all, 380 million years, that predates dinosaurs by 315 million years. Wow. That's something else. Because we're talking about 65 million years ago was our boy T-Rex and stuff like that. Continuing is how a prehistoric fish morphed into tetrapods. The find, quote, reveals extraordinary new information about evolution of the vertebrate hand, said Dr. John Long, strategic professor in paleontology at Flinders University, who recently published a study in Nature. Quote, this is the first time that we have unequivocally discovered fingers locked in a fin with fin rays in any known fish. The articulating digits in the fin are like the finger bones found in the hands of most animals. Elpistostegalians, <laughs> that's a great word, were amphibious predators that merged features of fish and tetrapods. They were the closest known evolutionary ancestors of tetrapods, 
but are thought to have appeared more fish-like, closer to how you would probably imagine a fish-crocodile hybrid, since they still had the scales and gills. Weird. Their large skulls with eyes on top were part of their morphology closer to tetrapods, and unlike fish, they had insignificant dorsal and anal fins or none at all, relying instead on their pectoral fins to carry them around in shallow water or all the way to shore. Finger-like bones made it easier for them to spread their weight through these fins. No other fossils have revealed the complete anatomy of an Alpistostegalian's extraordinary pectoral fins until now. Out of four Alpistostegalian, I wonder how many times we're going to throw that word at me, <laughs> species, E. Wassoni is the only one whose body shape and proportions can now be fully fleshed out. Tetrapods are thought to have emerged in the form of Elpistostegalians during the Devonian period. Earlier fossilized impressions of bones that suggested the beginnings of a transformation do exist, but these not-quite-fish or tetrapodomorphs, which probably walked, marked the dawn of the transformation into tetrapods. What may have deceptively appeared to be a fin could have been mistaken for one, since it still shows fin rays, characteristic of fish. These fins were actually hiding skeletal digits that Long and his team determined to be the closest skeletal structure to a tetrapod hand ever found. Quote, These findings pushes back the origin of digits and vertebrates to the fish level. The fish level? I like that. And tells us that the patterning for the vertebrate hand was first developed deep in the evolution, just before fishes left the water. So... Where did fish end and tetrapods begin? The Devonian phenomenon of fish fingers was undoubtedly one of the most significant events in vertebrate evolution. Later incarnations of tetrapodomorphs would eventually ditch the gills for lungs and further adapt to terrestrial life by developing strong muscular structures in fins that were turning into legs, dorsals and anal fins that were now necessary for stability in swimming in water also disappeared. Functions of major organs began to change and, sens and sensory abilities to detect movement of predators and prey in the water gradually faded. Through Iwasoni was probably not in much danger of being eaten since it had fangs for days. Elpistostege further blurs the line between fish and tetrapods in showing a greater number of tetrapod novelties than are present in any other fish. Watson and his team concluded in the study. We just hope that monster sharks won't start taking sunset walks on the beach anytime soon. Yeah, that's my that's my worst nightmare. Yeah, yeah. land shark. Yeah, land shark is my worst worst nightmare. Yep, but not not funny like that land shark, like real dangerous like land shark. That's interesting story. But yes, eventually I I do know that a lot of reptilian species were evolved from creatures crawling, learning to crawl from the water. Eventually, at so some point, fish had fingers, huh? Crazy. Yeah, and I bet they use that middle one a lot. Especially when the traffic was bad, I'm sure, <laughs> down under the, under the sea. I'm sure, but that is our story today, my brother. I mean, can you imagine swimming in the lake and normally you, normally you don't feel fish, you know, go past you in the at all? Lake. They avoid the hell out of you. Yeah, but like if they had fingers and they just kind of like, you know, how when when you're walking through a crowd and you kind of push your way through a crowd using your hands sometimes. Yep. Can you imagine a fish doing that to your leg? Say, move, how, fool, get out of my way. How freaky would that be to feel fingers That'd underneath? That'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, or grab your ass or something. That'd be bad. <laughs> I'd be freaked out. That like, wouldn't work. That would be weird. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good story, James. All right, brother.
So all of the research for this episode comes from a few sources. Uh, there's an atlasobscura.com article, allthatsinteresting.com article, uh, Artist House Key West article, and uh, from episode 15 of the Lore podcast called Unboxed. Nice. One warm day, a plumber enters a house on Eaton Street in Key West, Florida. On his way into the house, he notices a doll in a chair staring out an upstairs window. The home belongs to Mr. and Mrs. Thomas Otto, their three sons, and a special friend. However, that day none of the children were at home. While attending to his assignment, the plumber suddenly heard the laughter of children come from the upper part of the house. Remembering that the children were not at home, he decided to investigate, and when he reached the room the doll was in, he found that the doll had moved to another part of the room, and objects he had seen in the doll's lap were now on the other side of the room, as if the doll had thrown them. That doll belonged to the youngest child, Robert Eugene Otto. Its name was Robert the Doll. Robert the Doll is a 116-year-old doll that currently resides at the Fort East Martello Museum in Key West, Florida. The officials at the museum trace Robert's origin to the Stife Company, a toy designer that created the very first teddy bear for Theodore Roosevelt. A Stife historian told the museum that Robert was never meant to be a toy. He was not a mass-produced item and most likely was part of a set fabricated for a window display of clowns or jesters. This would explain the doll's unusual size. Robert is a 40-inch doll, while dolls from the time period generally didn't exceed 14 inches. Most historians agree that Robert was given to Robert Eugene Otto, who went by Gene, by his grandfather as a birthday gift who bought the doll during a trip to Germany. However, there are other stories perpetrated around there. One um, is that he was given to Gene by the family's maid as retaliation for wrongdoing perpetrated by the family. Mm. The other says that he was given to Gene by his great aunt Bridget, who was also on a trip to Germany and found the doll while shopping. Mm. But... The vast majority of historians believe that he was given to him by his grandfather. But he still emanates from Germany. Still came from Germany, No yes. matter what, who, who gave it to him, what, he, he, was, he come from Germany. He comes from the, 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 the Steef company, yes. Okay. Now, once he received the doll, no matter where he got it from, the doll had an immediate effect on Gene, and they soon became inseparable. See, Gene was a quiet, shy boy who found it hard to make friends. Having this life-size doll gave Gene a friend that he had never had before. And he was so enamored with the doll that Gene named the doll after himself and even dressed him in one of his own sailor outfits. Now, see, that bothers me, though. A boy who has trouble making friends instead of helping him. I don't know. I guess back then, I don't know if psychology was really heavily used or something for children. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just, I have a problem with that. Just, let's, let's put him up in the attic with the doll and let him just sit there and talk to the doll all day. That just, that just seems a little whack to me. Seems you know? like an easy... Easy it does. Way out. Easy fix. Easy fix, yeah. It's like today's if a kid don't behave, you just plug him into a Xbox and, and or, walk away. Or you drug his ass up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some Merlin or some something, yeah. you know? Yeah. No, no thanks. Gene would place the doll in a chair next to him at the dinner table, and the doll would sit on the toilet while Gene bathed, almost watching over him. Gene eventually gave Robert his own room in the attic, complete with furniture, toys, and even a teddy bear and a chair that Robert's always sat in. His parents and the household staff began to claim they could hear Gene in his bedroom having full conversations with someone they swore was another person that was not Gene. But when they would enter the room, they always found Gene sitting on the floor across from Robert, who was always in his favorite chair. However, there were other times when his mother would often find him in the corner of his room, cowering, holding his knees in his arms while the doll sat in the chair and stared. Now, that is interesting to me as well because that brings to mind... 
the possibility of a split personality disorder or, you know, not even bipolar. We're talking right. split. In other like words, a whole different personality. whole different person, and he can carry yeah. on a conversation back and forth and flip the switch. That is a very good assumption, yeah. You know, that's just, it's, it's just, I mean, it happens to fit the facts, but, you know, it's just, uh, I mean, because if you're hearing that's... conversations with a yeah with a whole other person and a whole other voice, that's not your son's. Because that is one of the big things with people with multiple personalities is a complete personality and voice change. Right. Complete. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's scary. I have yeah. seen videos on this stuff. It's very strange. Yeah. So that that could have been, but a very... it could have been one of the things that was going on, especially if he one was cowering. Yeah. Maybe the other his alter ego. Was terrifying and scared the shit out of him. I mean, I don't know. Like that movie Split. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Many times his parents would be awoken in the middle of the night to Gene screaming in his room. When they reached it, they found all of the furniture had been overturned, to which Gene always swore it was Robert's fault. The family then began to find mutilated toys strewn about the house. The staff would sometimes find silverware and dishes strewn about on the dining room floor on occasion. But each time when confronted, Gene would proclaim Robert did it, and many times servants would find Robert in different parts of the house, even when Gene wasn't at home. Now, see, first of all, that's seriously unhealthy. You know, they—they, they, it's just like they let this poor boy go on and on and on like this, blaming things on the doll. He probably had rage issues, you know, some, you know, temper or or what do you call it, out of control. You know, if he had. Multiple personalities. Maybe one of them was extraordinarily violent. Yeah, but I, I felt like because this was like 1904, you know, people were very proper back then. Yeah. And they were much more into child discipline. Yes. So very I very much so. I think no matter how much he claimed Robert did it, the parents didn't believe him and probably did discipline him quite a bit for not taking responsibility for things that he did. Yeah. And I, the thing I feel is, like they did. Yeah, and then also this thing about things moving around when uh, Gene wasn't home. That's pretty cool. That no. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. It's freaky though if you're not expecting it though. True that. Yeah. Yes, very much so. The experiences then began to happen to guests and visitors of the house. Some claimed to have seen the doll move slightly, even blink. Others claimed to hear laughter even when no one was home. Neighbors even began to report sightings as they would often claim to see Robert staring out one window at the top of the house, only to look away, look back, I'm sorry, and find him in a completely different window. Footsteps would often be heard when none of the children were at home. Gene would eventually go off to study at the Academy of Fine Arts in Chicago and the Art Students League in New York as a painter, leaving Robert behind in the attic. He would go on to travel Europe and soon met and fell in love with Annette Parker while studying in Paris. The two were married on May 3, 1930, and not long after, they took up residence in New York. It seemed that Gene had overcome his shyness, settled down, and left his friend in the past. Several years after Jean and Annette moved to New York, Jean's parents passed away and willed the house on Eaton Street to him. They moved in and would spend the next 40 years in that house. Along with the house and all its possessions was Robert. Once again, the hold the doll had over Jean was immediate. It was said Robert once again had a place at the table, a place at the foot of the couple's bed, and that Jean was seen carrying the doll with him about the house. Annette was said to be unnerved by the connection the two had, and at one point made Jean remove Robert back to the attic once again. This was not enough to stop Robert, though. The couple would occasionally find Robert in the house, and at night hear the same footsteps the servants and guests had heard decades before. Robert and Jean remained together in the house on Eaton Street until Jean's death in 1974, 
After her husband's death, Annette demanded the doll remain in the chest in the attic, and he did. However, shortly after his death, Annette sold the house and died herself two years later. There are many stories out there that say Annette was driven mad by the doll, and because of this, she perished before Jean did. I'm not really sure where those came from, but the more legitimate sources say she died after Jean two years in a new house in Florida. Hmm. Nothing spooky about that. No. The new owner, Myrtle Reuter, found the doll in the attic and took it out of the chest. Robert would be on display once again for all to see, and for the next 20 years, Reuter and her guests would report weird things happening to and around the doll. Reuter and many of her guests would swear that Robert's facial expression would change whenever Jean's name would be brought up in conversation. Oh, hell no. <laughs> now, this is actually... No, that's... This is scarier. Yeah. If any, now, if anyone badmouthed Jean within Robert's presence, it was said his expression would change to one of anger. Man, give me a match. <laughs> Burn that doll I'm up, taking huh? him out in the back and torching him. One, if, if, I mean, that's... <laughs> I mean, It's one thing for the, the... Anybody who hasn't seen the doll, yeah. go look the doll up, okay? There's, yeah. there's not a lot of facial features on him. No, he's a patchwork doll, right. for one thing. He's got two beady eyes. Heavy stitching, yeah. He's got two beady eyes, and he's got, like, heavy stitching, and he's yeah. got, like, a weird little mouth. Yeah. So, for his facial expression to change in general is... That's, you know, that's disturbing extraordinary. Enough. Yeah, absolutely. But for him to get angry, for him to yeah. form to form the eyebrow movement, to yeah, because there are dolls out there we've anger. all seen in pictures and photographs, things like that. Yeah, that you they follow you. Right. You can walk yeah. from one end of the room to the other, and it looks like the damn Just, thing is staring at you the whole time. The whole time. Ventriloquist dummies are bad about that. Oh yeah, that's right. You know, that's another dummies. one. Yeah. But yeah, I I could see how that would happen. But man, I'm telling you. They, if I saw it change expression, I'm sorry. I'm finishing my tea and getting the hell out. <laughs> you would burn it down. Huh? Bye. <laughs> Next time, my house. Once again, the footsteps would be heard, yeah. and Robert would be found in parts of the house he wasn't supposed to be in. Reuter would eventually move from the house on Eaton in 1980, but she decided to take Robert with her. Eventually, in 1994, Reuter donated Robert to the East Martello Museum in Key West, Florida. Stories claim that she donated him out of fear for the safety of her family. Then why, my friend, would she take the doll with her? Why didn't she get rid of it immediately? So that's what that's what gets me about this. When a family has fear of an object or something that's affecting their lives, get rid of it. We hear all too often people hang on to stuff for some weird reason. I'm guessing maybe they, the you know, Gene and his family. You know, his parents held on to that doll for so long because of the fact that it gave Robert Joy comfort to their son. Even when it terrified him, at least it kept him in check. Well, maybe he was, I don't, I mean, I'm no doctor, but maybe he was autistic because I do know autistic children become extraordinarily obsessed with, with certain with things. things. Right. Maybe he latched onto this doll and this thing got a hold of him so bad. And then the change of voice. He could have suffered multiple conditions. We right. just don't know. We don't know. But, you know, these days it'd be easier to diagnose stuff like this. But right. back in the early 1900s, they wouldn't know what the hell right. to do. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I wonder if maybe Reuter had a bit of the same the same personality as, as uh, Jean, where she was easily overtaken by the doll. Maybe so, because first of all, this thing is extraordinary looking. Yeah. It's very different. It's not like any doll you've seen. You know, it's, it's very odd. Right. And it's like, I don't know. It's I just... mean, because like, again, as you said, if things had happened the entire time you had the doll and you move out and the doll came with the house, why yeah. why would you take the doll with you? Unless 
Yeah. You know, Robert had a sort of, not a possession, but he was sort of an oppression type feeling over his host. Well, maybe. And, you and know, Gene was his first host. Yeah, like I said. And no... Mary Reuter, or not Mary Reuter, and Reuter was his second host. And so yeah. maybe he was able to, like, oppress her to the point to where when she moved out 14 years later, at that point, you know, it was almost like uh, Stockholm Syndrome. Where exactly. She, just, she couldn't leave without him. Yep. I mean that's, that's that's what I'm 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 thinking maybe but that's true. I don't but know. you know what hey it could it there could be a variety yeah. of things actually right. uh, one of the daughters claims that she was even attacked by Robert which led to her donating him holy crap yeah, yeah. I, that that'd have been it for me too I, I think at that point you wouldn't have donated you probably just would have burned the thing to death well see like I remember earlier you were you were saying how he would appear in a window when nobody was home right and then he would change windows when nobody's home. How do we know that they didn't keep that kid in the attic while they were gone while they and were locked gone. him up? Yeah, that's and he the could point. just be up there messing around doing stuff like that, you know, and just and people just weren't catching it. I mean, there are there are ways to debunk stuff like right. this, right? But one way or the other, still scary, as still hell. creepy as hell. Yeah, yeah, it is. Robert began appearing at the foot of Reuter's bed in the middle of the night, and after one particular night, when laughter and movement were heard just prior to finding him once again at the foot of her bed, she had had enough. Hell no! <laughs> it's not one that thing. It happened more than once? Not, not even that, but to, I, I agree with her. The, the scariest thing is not the fact that it happened more than once. It was that the last time it happened, she had heard laughter and footsteps before it happened, which means the doll was moving. Ugh. And that that's it. You're no, done. No, if I owned Robert, his head had gotten taken off because yeah. my 12 gauge is right above my bed. I'd come right down with a buckshot. Robert would be dead. Bye, Robert. Just be, <laughs> just be a doll without yeah. a head. No. Hell no. You know, I love ghosts. Yeah. I love hauntings. I love stuff like that. But if the, if the doll is appearing at the foot of my bed, He's laughing, not. and then sitting there just staring at me, yeah. he, he gone. He's not respecting your space. No, he, he, I'll, I'll take him out. Nowadays, he's... Quicker than the poltergeist clown doll. He's not you know keeping I mean? his, his six-foot distance minimum, you know? Nope. He's, he's violating CDC protocols. He's all in my bubble. He, That's he, right. He's he going to get messed up. He's going to get shot. A few months after Robert went to the museum, Reuter died. While Robert may have been a bad luck omen for those who cross Gene, he seems to be a very good luck omen for the museum. Since his arrival in 1994, museum staff claim they've had a large increase in visitors, all to see Robert the haunted doll. The staff also claim that video and electronic devices near Robert's case malfunction. Which is very common in paranormal very, very stuff. Common. Absolutely. They're draining that energy. The exhibit has brought people from all over the world, including ghost hunters and psychics, just to get a chance to meet the doll that has scared countless others, but brought joy and friendship to one lonely little boy. And that is the story it's, of Robert the doll. That is, it's, it's sad. It's just... <laughs> I mean, that's just a sad story. It's sad, it's, but it's, it's got some. It's got spooky element, but it's also a very sad story. That poor little guy up there with just nothing but a doll to play with for yeah. God knows how long. He, he you it's know, just, he, he turned out his his life turned out pretty lucky, I would say, because generally, you know, if you have that sort of childhood, you don't grow up to be a functioning member of society. True that. But he grew up, he went to college, he got married. He, had he got family, his stuff together. You know, so, uh, you know, yeah, he, when he went back home, the doll kind of re reoppressed him. But yeah. prior to that, he was able to have a fully functioning life. And he died of old age, and so did the wife, you know, so. Yeah, I guess maybe when he went back home, you think maybe he regressed emotionally and psychologically a little bit back to when he was a boy. You know, and I would probably, I would probably say that also had maybe a lot to do with sometimes when you have a childhood that's not 
while not rough, you know, as a boy like like he was, who was very, you know, shy and awkward, to have a father who may have been a bit more bearing, maybe yeah. there was there's some sort of, you know, underlying uh, unspoken sort of history there that that's going to affect you. And then you see the doll. Yeah. And it all comes coming come coming back to you, you know. And that and, home is probably loaded to the gills with energy. Oh yeah, all yeah, kinds of energy, is. negative energies, and just paranormal energies. You know, it's all, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and so uh, I'm sure it'd be kind of cool to investigate that house. Actually, I believe it's a tourist house now. So is it now? You can go in there. I believe you got to put Robert back in that house then. I, you know, I don't quote me on this because I have, I don't watch shows, but I swear at one point I saw a ghost show that did that. They took the doll back hmm. to the house to investigate to see if it would do. Oh, that's, yeah, that might be something worth looking up. Maybe I dreamed it. I don't know. Again, don't don't you know? Don't quote me on that. But I don't remember them getting any real um, extraordinary evidence off of that though. Well, I think next time I'm in Florida, I'm going to go find Robert and check him out. You should go take a bunch of pictures. And... Absolutely. Now there is a thing that says that if you go to, if you go to see Robert the doll at the museum, you have to ask his permission to take his picture. Mm-hmm. If you don't, there are stories of people who have done that, who have not asked his permission, and then later on have had a series of bad luck events happen to them. Oh shoot! To the point where they've actually mailed him a card apologizing for their slight. Really? Museum gets tons of cards all the time from people who have done just that. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. Because they had something happen. You know, bad luck hit them after they left the museum. Wow. And they, they, they send a letter back saying, I apologize, something or other. And, you know, I don't know if that turns their luck around or not, but people believe it that much that they, they will go to that point. Well, brother, maybe that just proves that maybe something is just pretty damn sinister attached to this doll. I'm I'm willing to go investigate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go test it out. Me too. Yeah. All right, man. Well, that's the end of this episode. Uh, another great one in the books. Absolutely. I love this topic. That was a good one. Now, uh, James, why don't you tell tell the fine folks at home, uh, if they don't know already, where they can find us on social media and on the apps. Absolutely. We are on the fourthhand.com media network. I'm proud members. Love these guys. Lots of great shows. Please go check them out. Give them some likes. Give them some reviews. Check out the shows. You can also find our other project, What the Suck There. That's yep. where we do our uh, ratings of forgotten really, and really crappy horror yeah, movies. Yeah, really forgotten uh, and really crappy movies. Yeah, we kind of come, we kind of go off the rails on that one. It's a lot of fun on that uh, one. Yes. Uh, we are, of course, on the Big Evil Facebook under <laughs> State of Fear. Yeah, we are. Just look, just look for Devil's Tower. That's right. We are also on Instagram under State of Fear. Easy and to find. please listen to the episodes. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Let yes. us know what you think. Good, bad, otherwise. Because uh, anytime, you know, constructive criticism is welcomed by both of us. You know, just keep it keep it real because if you get too nasty, we'll come back at you. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> the more you rate and review us on, like, uh, Apple Podcasts, the further up the list we go. That's and, true. Uh, We're on more, Apple Podcasts. We're on Google we Podcasts. Get. We're on Spotify. Spotify yep. CastBox. Pretty much anywhere. Chris has worked real hard to get us out Or even there. on YouTube. Even on YouTube. Yeah, so go find us on YouTube, too. Yep. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, until then, James, um, I look forward to our next episode, our next state, and our next road trip. Absolutely, my brother. All right, see you guys. Take care. Oh, and don't forget to stay tuned for the personal encounter stories coming up right now. My name is Melissa, and my story is about the serial killer Gerald Stano. I grew up in Daytona Beach, Florida in the 1970s and 80s. My dad was a police officer, and he used to share all kinds of work stuff with me that made me feel like a grown-up. 
but it meant that I didn't have a childhood like other kids. While other families talked about school or sports around their dinner tables, at our house the main topic was crime. Like crimes committed by the motorcycle gangs in Daytona to crime farther afield like the Atlanta child murders. My dad took me aside one day and said, Girl, keep your head on a swivel and don't trust anyone. Every Sunday, I would go to church with my grandparents. They were super religious and they used to do tent revivals back in the 30s and 40s. So we'd go to church and afterwards we had a weekly ritual of eating lunch at a little restaurant around the corner from my mom's house. I'm not going to name the restaurant because it's still in business today, but they advertise as having the best chicken in town. And it was the most delicious fried chicken I've ever eaten. I can't tell you how many times I've been there, probably over a hundred. We even got takeout during the week most of the time too. But what we didn't know is that our food was being cooked by a serial killer. Gerald Stano was a cook there. I knew him, not personally, but on sight. When my grandfather would pay our bill after the Sunday meal, I'd walk up with him because he'd let me handle the money and get change, and it was fun for me. I remember standing there waiting for the cashier and looking back in the kitchen. And there he was. He'd always smile at me, and I would wave back. Nobody thought anything about it. When Stano was arrested, they came for him at his job. Man, that news travels fast and was on the TV that night. My mother was flipping out. One of his victims shopped at a small craft store that my mother and I went to all the time. When they found her abandoned car, a bag of fabric for a cheerleading costume was still in the back seat. Another woman was murdered in a wooded area less than a tenth of a mile from my elementary school. I rode my bike past there every day for school. The restaurant and the two murder scenes were within a mile radius of my home. I shudder to think that the same hands that dipped and floured all that fried chicken murdered 22 women in our community. To this day, I still can't eat fried chicken on the bone. When they asked him how he would hunt victims, Stano said, I would find a girl walking. Sometimes those girls were in my own neighborhood as he stalked young women driving to and from his job. So fast forward to 2005 in Daytona when small articles start appearing in the local newspaper. Body found near the river or local woman found dead. Very vague, no information. After a few of these popped up, I knew we had another serial killer in town. But tourism is a community's lifeblood and it was kept very hush-hush. To date, the Daytona Beach serial killer is being looked at for 21 murders. But the case went cold and we were left scared and wondering what was next. In 2019, everything came full circle. Law enforcement caught the Daytona Beach serial killer when his DNA was linked to four women murdered here from 2005 to 2007. At the time, he was being held on suspicion of another 2016 murder in South Florida. I can still hear my dad's voice saying, don't trust anybody. So Robert Hayes, the Daytona Beach serial killer, was a criminal justice major. He knew how to get away with murder and how to hide in plain sight. And the news media replayed Gerald Stano being arrested at that chicken joint we love so much. Go figure. Thank you. My name is Melissa, and I'm going to talk about Florida's skunk ape. I grew up in East Central Florida, and... Heard a lot of stories off and on through the years about uh, our version of Bigfoot here called the skunk ape. Um, my dad had all kinds of crazy stories from firemen, policemen who'd be out 
responding and see things. And never in a million years did I dream that it would actually happen to me and my partner. So this actually happened in 2002. I haven't reported it to the BFRO, but I've been thinking about it now that my partner's retired. Him and I worked together for nearly 10 years, and we've been through a lot together. Uh, I'm a retired firefighter paramedic, and I work on an ambulance now. At the time, uh, him and I worked together at the fire station in Oak Hill, Florida. About 11 o'clock one night, we received a call to back up some other first responders working a bad motor vehicle crash at the end of Lake Harney Road. This was on the Osteen side of Maytown Road. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, um, it's a long stretch of very desolate road, two-lane highway that is surrounded by tree farms. It's about 18 miles one way. At the time, uh, Lake Harney Road was rural and unpaved sandy washboard. It's all paved now, but back then it was a really rough area. It was a full moon and it was really bright out. We drove our engine down Lake Harney Road and we made a right then a left. At the time, the area around there were all fields of uh, that native grass and some sparse pine trees. My partner was driving and we saw a dead deer that looked like it'd been hit by a car lying on a curve on the west side of the road and it looked it looked pretty fresh. As we passed the deer, um, my supervisor called and requested that we stage around there. There were we could see down farther and we could see that there were a lot of emergency vehicles parked down there and they just asked us to stage in that area just to not uh, log jam the whole area. So we ended up parking the engine about 200 feet south of where we saw that deer. We turned off our headlights and we staged in the road with our running lights on. We were talking for a while and I think I dozed off for a few minutes. Well, I woke up when our supervisor called back and released us to go back to our station because they didn't need us. We had to drive down pretty, pretty far to find a place to turn around because it goes from uh, pine uplands to really wet um, swamp type area. So we finally got turned around. And on the way back, I noticed that the deer was gone. And I said to him, look at that. What happened to that deer? And he just like said something like quick, like, wow, that's weird. That deer's gone, you know, and that was it. Well, we didn't talk about it after that. Eight months later, we were sitting around at the station and my partner asked me if I remember that call on Lake Harney Road with the missing dead deer. I started to tell him I thought it was a panther that drug it off. I remember this whole situation really clear because at the time I was involved with Florida panther conservation. I mean, I was really into it. I even started carrying like a plaster of Paris kit, you know, in case I saw any tracks, you know. And I remember thinking... That night, wow, I bet a panther drug that off. I should have looked in the road for tracks. And, and I'd thought about that for a while. And I was fretting about that. It was like a missed opportunity for me. Well, my partner stopped me right there. And he said, nope, it was absolutely not a panther. He said he was looking in the driver's side mirror when a very large figure, I mean, he said it was probably at least seven or eight foot tall crossed the road in two steps. It picked up the deer, 
slung it on its shoulder, and walked into the fields. He said he wasn't able to make out any other glaring details other than it was just big and fast and dark. He did say that he instantly knew in his heart he was not looking at a man. My partner kept it from me because he said he didn't want me to be afraid to be in the woods. You know, because we we have brush fires and stuff all the time. You know, you don't want to be scared working out there. Well, after he told me about seeing that cryptid, we never talked about it after that. And I kept it to myself. Um, I know that he was really afraid that if that story got out that he'd seen that, that the other firemen would pick on him or just, you know, ridicule that type of thing. Well, his story really scared me. Him and I were partners for nearly 10 years, and we were really tight. And to me, his word is gold. I still run calls out in that same area. But I'll tell you what, I sure as hell don't run calls out there at night. Have a good evening. Switching to GEICO is a good idea, especially when you consider everything. First off, GEICO makes it easy to switch. They have licensed agents available 24-7 online or over the phone. But if it's so easy, you might start thinking everything is easy, even big wave surfing. And it's not. It's actually quite difficult. Well, if you switch to GEICO, you could save hundreds on car insurance. And you could keep saving by bundling your motorcycle, boat, and RV, plus your home or renter's insurance. But saving money might lead you to make some questionable purchases, like a 20-foot feather boa. And do you know how hard it is to clean a 20-foot feather boa? Well, they do have an industry-leading mobile app you can use to pay your bill, file and manage a claim, or add a new driver. But when life gets a little easier, it makes you too confident. And you start calling everyone ace. 
you're better than that. Well, GEICO has a 97% customer satisfaction rating and has been saving people money for 85 years. It's hard to beat that. But you're right. Switch to GEICO. It's obviously a good idea.